meet again in this way and to be able to open up God's word and to be able to sit together and to learn together and just be um, illuminated and enlightened by the word of God. And uh, happy Father's Day to those of you that are fathers and grandfathers and perhaps even fathers-to-be. Uh, we finished our series on Hezekiah and um, what happens to our feelings and our fears and our faith during crisis and how God is using crisis uh, to our good and for our welfare. And uh, we're returning now to our series on Matthew. And um, it's been a little while since we've been in this incredible gospel of Matthew. And so I just want to take a minute and get our minds kind of reset back to Matthew and get our heads back in the gospel and what Matthew is doing in his account of the teaching and the life of Jesus. Now, Matthew's gospel, as you may remember, is written primarily to a Jewish audience. He's expecting the people who are reading his gospel to be his countrymen, to be Jews. And um, it is focused on the king and the kingdom, on the Messiah. Jesus is the long-awaited king. And with his arrival, he is ushering in the long-awaited kingdom, the new kingdom. And it's a different kingdom than anybody expected. It's a kingdom that is now, it is near at hand, and you can enter it, repent, and become part of the kingdom of God. And it is also not yet. It is a coming kingdom, but it's in breaking into this world. And Jesus is teaching as the king how his citizens are recognized, how we become his citizens, how we behave as his citizens, how the world sees us as his citizens, how we are meant to view the world. And so Matthew is teaching about the king and the kingdom. And we've seen a lot of this teaching through the Sermon on the Mount and through the miracles that Jesus did and through the prophecies that spoke of Jesus and his birth and uh, all of this focus on the king and the kingdom. And we left off at the end of chapter 11 in Matthew with some well-known verses. And I'm going to repeat them again now because chapter 2 follows uh, directly, naturally after chapter 11. Obviously, the chapter breaks aren't there in the original text. Um, but really, even though Jesus says one thing and then it goes into account of Jesus's actions, there isn't really a teaching break. Um, the account that we're going to read in Matthew 12 is directly related to what Jesus taught at the end of chapter 11. And so this is how Matthew 11 ends in verses 23 to 28, or sorry, 28 to 30. In verses 28 to 30, Matthew 11 ends this way. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a lot of people, even people who aren't Christian or don't read the Bible or don't normally go to church, could probably put those words in the mouth of Jesus. They're probably in the top 10, maybe even in the top five of things that people know Jesus said and Jesus taught. And there's a sense in which, very real sense, in which these three verses summarize really what the whole New Testament is about, what the whole Bible is about, really, but specifically about why Jesus came, who he is, and his coming, and the implications of his coming. And so if you're struggling to understand Christianity, if you're struggling even to understand your own faith, it is worth your time to understand these three verses and what Jesus is saying about himself and what Jesus is saying about what it means to be a Christian as opposed to just a religious person. These three verses are super important. And because they're so important, Jesus illustrates them to his disciples and he contrasts his way to the Pharisees in the verses that we're about to get to. And 
he tries to make clear exactly what he means. And it's important for us to understand that when Jesus talks about his yoke, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's a, a little clue there. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, is, when he talks about his yoke, is talking about his teaching. He's saying, you are yoked right now to rabbis and to religious people of your day. And their yoke is not easy. Their teaching is hard and you are finding it hard to be religious. But come to me, listen to me, learn from me. That's the key to what he's saying. Learn my way. Walk in the way of Jesus and you will find that the yoke or the teaching is easy and the burden is light. The law or the teaching or the yoke was never meant to be a burden. It was meant to be light. And Jesus is basically going to, in the following verses, uh, as many of the prophets did, but Jesus does in his own special way, come along and say, you've been doing it all wrong. And I want to show you how to do it right. And I want to show you how it's different than what you expect. So it's important for us as Christians. The reason that this is an important text to us, and it's important that we understand this and that Jesus illustrates it, because we want to follow God the way Jesus would teach us to follow God. We want our faith to be authentic, and we want our faith to be the faith that Jesus would have us have. And we want to be followers of Jesus that understand that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. And so this is what Jesus illustrates, and this is how Matthew records it. Let's just pray before we look at Matthew chapter 12. Uh, it's a long text, but I'm going to do my best to summarize the portions of it. Uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 12, 1 to 14. Let's pray. Father God, we're going to open your word now, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would teach us what it is that you would have us learn, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and illuminate our minds so that we see what Jesus is saying, we see what you are speaking to us, what you are teaching us about yourself, so that we would be set free from the bondage of religion, and we would be set free from the bondage of uh, misunderstanding and misinterpretation and man-made traditions. And from that freedom, we would be able to follow your law in the way that Jesus would have us follow it. In Christ's name, amen. So right after this teaching on his burden is easy and his yoke is light, uh, Jesus then tells, or Matthew illustrates, uh, or tells this account of how Jesus illustrated this to his disciples and to some antagonistic Pharisees. Matthew chapter 12, 1 to 14. At that time, so it's at that time, right after he had taught this, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So hopefully you can see here as I read that, that this account is a confrontation, or we could say again, a contrast between interpretations of the law and what it means to follow the will of God. The Pharisees accuse, and Jesus responds to their accusations. The Pharisees have their yoke, or they have their teaching, they have their interpretation of the law that their disciples follow, and Jesus has his yoke, or his teaching, for his followers and his disciples to follow. And so, in order to understand this, we do need to look at the law in question, to be fair to the Pharisees and to do the text justice. What law are they talking about and what are the Pharisees accusing him of? And so we consider these teachings in light of the law that is taught in Exodus 23, and it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment. God said to Moses when giving the Ten Commandments, uh, the fourth one that he gives is, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and that the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Now, that seems pretty straightforward in terms of a law. You have six days to do your work. You have six days to go to your job. You have six days to take care of your house, mend your fence, patch your roof, take out the garbage, do your cooking, whatever it is. And then on the seventh day, and the Jewish Sabbath would be the Saturday, or the, the Saturday is the Sabbath of the Jewish week, then you rest. And as Christians in this generation, um, after the crucifixion, Jesus rose on Sunday, and so it was on the first day of the week that the Christians met. So we could just call it the Sabbath, or we could call it the Lord's Day. But the principle in place here is that you're supposed to rest on the Lord's Day, or on the Sabbath, and you don't do work. Now, you rest on the same day that God rested in creation, the seventh day. But that's not the reason given in the text here. The reason the command is given in the Ten Commandments is that you shall rest so that your animals and your extended household and even travelers and strangers can be refreshed. So first of all, what we want to do is make sure that we not think that the law is not important. The Pharisees are right to take the law seriously, but the Pharisees lacked knowledge and compassion in how to apply the law correctly. So the law is important and the law should be taken seriously. But as Jesus is going to show, we need to understand the law correctly in the light of the knowledge of God and his character and compassion. So we know that this commandment, as they all are, was important, actually, because Israel actually went into exile over ignoring it. Uh, if you look in Leviticus chapter 26, uh, as God is uh, explaining the Sabbath law and explaining the various uh, points in the calendar and years that the Jewish people were to observe, he actually speaks some prophecy in Leviticus. Um, and he says, in spite of this, in spite of these laws, you will not listen to me, but will walk contrary to me. When Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. And then the land shall rest and, it's, and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. So the people of Israel got the Ten Commandments. They got into the Promised Land. They had all the law of the Sabbath. They understood the law of the Sabbath rest, and they ignored it. They ignored it all the time they were in the land. And God says that one of the reasons you were taken into captivity in Babylon for 70 years is so that the land could catch up on all the Sundays, or the Sabbaths, the Saturdays, all the Sundays that you didn't rest 
I'm going to catch up in that 70 years because you went all those years without ever observing this law that I gave you. So that gives us a little insight into the people of Israel and it also tells us how serious the law is. The law is not to be ignored. So God did actually leave the land desolate for 70 years and the people of Israel were in captivity in order to account for all those Sabbaths that they missed. But let's consider now how Jesus exposes the wrong interpretation of the Pharisees and then look at his correct interpretation of the character and the commandments of God and how we are to understand this law. So there's a sense in which the Pharisees are thinking, we need to take this law seriously, and so we're being really strict about the law. But as we're going to see, it's not really it's not really that they love the law so much as much as they love the power that it gives them. So the first thing that Jesus does is he establishes that his disciples are innocent. And we have to understand this going into this. The Pharisees are not right. That Jesus is not leading the disciples astray. The disciples were not breaking the fourth commandment when they were picking the heads of wheat uh, from the grain fields and eating them. Uh, in verse 7, uh, Jesus says that the Pharisees are accusing people who are guiltless, referring to the disciples. So they're guiltless in this situation. Jesus obviously can't lead his disciples into sin. Jesus can't lead anyone into sin. Um, if Jesus could lead people into sin or if he could sin himself, then uh, his death would not be a perfect sacrifice and we would still be in our sins. And so um, that the fact that the disciples are picking grain is not a violation of this commandment. For, so the first thing we need to see is that they're not breaking this fourth commandment when they pick the grain. They're not stealing either. You might think, well, maybe, you know, they're just walking through somebody's grain field and they're, and they're stealing. And so the Pharisees are accusing them either of breaking the Sabbath or accusing them of stealing. But they're not stealing either. If you look back in the law in Deuteronomy, which is the second telling of the law, in Deuteronomy 23:25, uh, we're told in the law that if you're passing by through a grain field and you're hungry, you can't harvest it. God says you can't take a sickle to it. You can't harvest your neighbor's wheat, uh, but you can glean from it. You can pick the heads of wheat off and eat the heads of wheat as you go. Or if you're walking through a vineyard, you can pick some grapes and eat the grapes as you go. You can pick an apple off an apple tree and eat it as you go. So God, in his law, made provision for people who were traveling, people who were hungry, people who are on their way to do, as all of God's people are, should be doing God's work and doing the Lord's work. They have provision in the law to pick what they need uh, for their provision. And that's what the disciples were doing here. Okay, so let's be clear. They're not breaking the Sabbath and they're not stealing. They're not doing anything that's contrary to the law. And so the Pharisees, right away, we can see, again, this is written to Jews, they would know this, right away we can see that the Pharisees are deliberately cherry-picking the laws that they want to cherry-pick. They are misusing the law and picking the parts of the law that they want for their own purposes. They are not taking account of the whole law. They have no intention of upholding the whole law. What they were actually doing was looking to ambush Jesus. And so we need to take away from this and understand this as believers and, and watch for this in our own churches and in our own uh, behavior as Christians, that even good laws can be misused. Deceitful people can hide selfishness. We can hide selfishness. People can hide cruelty and they can, and, and just plain immaturity behind outward forms of obedience. And so you can do it yourself, you can run into people who use the law, the letter of the law, to appear righteous and even use the letter of the law to disguise or to conceal wrongdoing. And we're going to see more of that as we go into this. But that's something to take away from this and just see right away that Jesus is exposing the Pharisees' misuse of the law and their lack of understanding of it and how they are trying to apply the letter of the law in a way to accomplish their own purpose, which is to ambush or trap Jesus. 
And so we have to be careful of this as a church, as a body of believers, and also as individuals. If, if how we speak or the actions we take or the stance that we hold in the name of being biblical ends up being counter to the intent of God and counter to the nature of God, then we are not getting it right. We have to be careful that we're not using the, the letter of the law in an abusive way. And that's not easy ground to navigate all the time. It is a very narrow path that we have to walk. It demands maturity and understanding of God's character and God's word and the teaching of Jesus and the example of Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But just because it's a narrow path, it doesn't mean it's not a straight path. It's a narrow path and there's ditches on either side that we can fall into and we do fall into from time to time as a church and as a culture of Christians. But just because it's narrow doesn't mean it's not straight or that it's not true. And so it's our job here to hear the words of Jesus and know how to walk this path. And so I'll talk about some of the, these things closer to the end of the message. But right now we can just see that Jesus is starting to expose the Pharisees' misuse of the law for their own purposes. And then Jesus gives two examples of the law properly applied. And the examples that he uses are from the Old Testament. And he says to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? And, uh, and then he says, uh, or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And so his two examples are at the time that David and his men were fleeing persecution, and you can read about it in 1 Samuel 21. And they have no food. And, and so the priest uh, lets David and his men eat some of the consecrated bread that's reserved by the law for the priests. Nobody except the priests are supposed to eat it. And yet here's David, not even a king is supposed to eat it, but here's David and his men, um, and this is even before he was king, uh, eating the bread of the presence, which they're not supposed to do. So in a time of necessity, Jesus is saying it was lawful in that time of necessity for the priest to give David the bread that he needed to eat because he was hungry and he was in need. And so by using this illustration, Jesus teaches that the law of neighbor love or the law of showing compassion to your neighbor or compassion to the person in need is greater than the ceremonial law or the appearance law uh, that was in place for the temple. If God's ceremonial law can be set aside for David, then surely the Pharisees can see that their rules about the Sabbath, which are not God's rules, but their rules about the Sabbath can be set aside for Jesus and his disciples. Or as a second example, Jesus says, what about the priests who work on the Sabbath? You say that nobody's supposed to work on the Sabbath and that you're violating the, the commandments, but I have a, you know, God established a whole temple and a whole priesthood and, and they worked on the Sabbath every, that was their job, every Sabbath was to work. I mean, they had to prepare the, the sacrifices and the, prepare the feasts and they had to uh, do all the ceremony stuff and they had to do the cleansings and, you know, the priests are working, but, but they're guiltless even though they profane the Sabbath. And so Jesus uses that examples. You know, what about Christians who have ministry work to do or good works prepared beforehand for them to do? Does that mean that as Christians we don't do anything uh, because it's Saturday? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you with your problem because, you know, it's Sunday and Sunday I don't do any work and that seems like work. And so we have to be careful as Christians that we don't realize or we don't use the law in a way that prevents us from doing good work or doing the work of the Lord. And so Jesus uses these two illustrations from the Old Testament to say, hey, I understand that you're trying to interpret the letter of the law, but there's another way of reading the law. And you have to realize that you cannot read the law in such a way that it negates the opportunity for compassion or it negates the law of loving your neighbor. 
So Jesus is basically teaching here that religious obedience is not an excuse to ignore human need or ignore good work. Or to put it another way, you can't twist the law, even the Ten Commandments, in such a way that you use the concept of your loving God in a certain way as an excuse not to love your neighbor. So in other words, you can't use the first four commandments about our love duty towards God as a way to excuse ourselves from the last six commandments, which are our love duty towards our neighbor. You can never do that. And that's what the Pharisees are trying to do. They're trying to take their duty towards God and use it as an excuse to not meet the needs or have compassion on anybody around them. And so Jesus makes these illustrations really clear by following them up. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so after giving these illustrations from the Old Testament, Jesus pinpoints the Pharisees' error in how they're misapplying the law. He says, this is all about a lack of compassion and a lack of love. If you actually knew what my scripture meant, and that phrase must have just killed the Pharisees. I mean, these are the most scholarly and devout followers of the Old Testament law that exist. And Jesus says, if you knew what it meant when I said, right, I desire love, not sacrifice. He's basically saying, you don't know. You don't know what you think you know. He said, I said this, and he quotes his prophet Hosea through which God spoke these things. I desire love, not sacrifice. He says, I want compassion, not rituals. I want mercy, not ceremony. This is what you are getting wrong. You are replacing ritual and ceremony and religion with loving your neighbor and compassion on the needy. And my law had provision for that. You can't use sacrifice as an excuse to not show love towards others. And really, if you remember how the fourth commandment was written, you should have seen it right there, literally written in stone. You remember the fourth commandment. You remember how it was phrased. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and that the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Jesus says it's right there. You know, let alone Deuteronomy 25 and let alone other laws where I've made provision for compassion, provision for the needy, even in the law of the Sabbath, you should have understood that the Sabbath was made to show compassion on yourself, but also show compassion on everyone else, even on your work animals. The law of the Sabbath is a law of compassion, and the Pharisees didn't see it. And the record of this same situation as is written here is in Mark 2:27. And in Mark, we have the additional sentence or the additional statement from Jesus, not that he said it one time and didn't say it another time, but Mark recorded it and Matthew didn't. Jesus said lots of things, uh, but Mark captures it. And Jesus also said at this time, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So he's, he's pinpointing again and highlighting the fact that the law, in, in all of this, you can almost substitute the word law for Sabbath. Jesus is specifically using the Sabbath as an object lesson because that's what the Pharisees have brought up. But really, all of these statements apply to the whole law. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The law was made for, for man, right? Not man for the law. And this is what we have to understand. This is why I say these, these three verses that Jesus says about his, his yoke being easy and to learn from him and follow his way is so key to understanding the New Testament and understanding what Christianity is all about. Because this is true Christian freedom. We do not feel a burden obeying the law as Jesus presents it to us. 
we do feel a burden following rules and forms and ceremonies of man-made religion. But as Jesus presents the law, as Jesus walks in the law, as Jesus fulfills the law, we are not to feel a burden. He joins us in the yoke, and his yoke, therefore, is easy, and his burden is light. The Sabbath was made for man. The law is made for man. It is made to lift burdens, not to place them. This is why Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He says, I have not come to weigh you down with impossible lists of rules and strict ceremonies and traditions. I have come to show you how the law is light and how the law is love. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't throw the law out. Jesus does not answer the Pharisees here by saying, oh, you're still obeying those ancient old laws of God that were written on stone, those you know, old Ten Commandments, dusty old things. No, that's all over with and done with. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus never eliminates the law or the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am greater than the temple and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus establishes that he is now the presence of God among his people. And that the righteousness of God is in him and that he is the Lord and the master of the law. And all of the law flows through him now. It's not filled up with all of these ceremonial and sacrificial and traditional interpretations that are added by the Pharisees and by the scribes and by the other rabbis. So the law isn't gone. The law is found in the person of Jesus Christ. You remember he already taught us in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So this is just another way in which Jesus is teaching that he fulfills the law and that he is now the way in which we interpret the law. So the law of the Sabbath is still in effect, but it's in effect now in its proper form. It's not in effect in its shallow ritualistic or religious form. The law interpreted that way is just a shadow of the reality that is in Jesus Christ. It is a law that is meant to point us towards compassion and towards others. Basically, the Sabbath law was meant to say very much deeper than this, but don't work your people, to su- your people to death. Don't work yourself to death. Don't be so consumed with commerce that you ignore God or ignore people. And there's lots more to talk about there, but let's just see what Jesus shows us what he means here. In the next section of the text, Jesus then, after giving these examples, he then acts it out as an object lesson for them in the synagogue that they are visiting. And he acts it out for them with the man with the wizard hand. And I'm not going to read the whole text again, but as they entered the synagogue, there was a man there with a withered hand. Uh, As it's described here, he's clearly among the beggars that are there. He can't work. He may be in pain, whatever. But this hand has crippled him. It's made him unable to work, to sustain himself, to support himself. He's at the synagogue. He's among the beggars. And he's there uh, looking for compassion. And Jesus sees him and uses him as an example to the Pharisees to show them the compassion that they lack. Um, And so the Pharisees, basically to, to the Pharisees, this man is just a tool to trap Jesus. He's not an object of their compassion. And it's, they're trying to just get him into a trap to accuse Jesus of healing the man on the, on the Sabbath. And, And it's pretty staggering, really. These Pharisees know that Jesus can heal. They know that he can do miracles and heal people. They're fully aware of the fact that he's probably going to heal this man, probably going to heal all the people that are there at the synagogue. And they're not, they don't even care about that. What they care about is how to trap Jesus and get him caught so that he's breaking the law, supposedly. They just want to see if Jesus will heal on the Sabbath and break their interpretation of the law. And so these Pharisees completely lack compassion. And Jesus says it again, religious duty doesn't excuse you from showing mercy. 
He says, of course I'm going to heal this man. If you have a sheep that falls into a pit, would you not pull your sheep out of the pit? Would you not work to save your sheep? Well, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So of course I'm going to heal him, whether it's the Sabbath or not. It is always right to do good on the Sabbath. It is always right to show compassion. Or in other words, again, the law of neighbor love, the law of mercy, the law of compassion is a higher law than the law of ceremony or sacrifice. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, if we want to look at other places where Jesus teaches this, is the exact same thing. Yes, you will be ceremonially defiled if you touch the body of a dead person. And so if this man laying beaten at the side of the road looks dead and you're walking by on your way to temple and you're wondering whether you should touch this dead body or investigate this person who is not a Jew and it would be unclean to touch him because it's Gentile and doubly unclean if he happens to be dead, then you would have to ceremonially cleanse yourself before you could go to the temple. That law is true. But what the parable of the Good Samaritan says is you should still go and help the man. You should still go find out whether he's dead or not. And even if he's, and if he's not dead, then you should definitely try to help him, even if touching him makes you unclean. And yes, you may still have to go through the ceremony and get yourself ritually clean again and do what you need to do to be able to go to the temple according to the law. That's fine. But that doesn't excuse you from showing compassion and mercy to the man who is laying beaten at the side of the road. You take care of the man first. You deal with the ceremony later if you need to. And so you see that in that parable. The law doesn't disappear, but the law needs to be put in place and used properly in the face of mercy. So I think similar to that parable, the church has been and can still at times be guilty of using a zealousness or righteousness of law keeping as an excuse to ignore compassion. And this is the lesson to us. This is where we need to be careful. We need to examine our own lives and we need to examine our own message to the world as the church and make sure that we are not replacing zealousness for biblical law keeping or scriptural purity, which we don't set aside because the law doesn't get us set aside, but that we don't use it as an excuse to ignore mercy and compassion because both need to be true. This is the narrow path that we walk and we don't want to fall into a ditch on either side. We don't want to throw out the law falling into one ditch and being nothing but compassion and mercy and acceptance and the law doesn't matter and everything is fine, that would be one ditch to fall into. But we also don't want to fall into the other ditch, which is we need to strictly uphold the law. And the scripture says this and the Bible says this and it's our job to enforce the law and it's up to us to make sure that everybody follows the law whether they want to or not. Um, and so, you know, we need to pass laws and we need to uh, lobby to make the government change this or change that and make sure that, you know, our community does this because the Bible says this and so we need to enforce this. That would be the ditch on the other side to fall into. And Jesus is saying, no, there is a way. It's a narrow way. It's a way in which we as Christians uphold the law, but we also uphold the law in a compassionate way and we show mercy and that the letter of the law does not trump compassion. And so there's different ways that we do this as Christians. We can do it in small ways and in very big ways. It can manifest itself as simply as an insensitive comment towards people who don't, you know, do church the way, you know, we expect, you know, proper church to be done, who don't uh, dress exactly the way we would expect them to, etc. And that just isn't compassionate. And I think for the most part, we've gotten past a lot of those little things as a culture, as a church, but it may still be a perception out there that the church somehow will judge you or not be compassionate towards you if you don't perform church or do church exactly the way that you're expected to. And Jesus says, there's no room for that in the law. 
there are right ways to treat one another and there's there's decorum and there's proper behavior uh, as we gather together as Christians, but we don't use the letter of the law uh, or the scripture or the Bible to be non-compassionate towards people um, simply because they transgress on some of these areas. But more seriously, that's very minor, but more seriously as the church as a whole, and, and by these words I don't mean every church or every Christian by any means because many Christians and many churches have always been steadfast in showing compassion, but on the whole, I think it's fair to say that the reaction of the church towards, say, the LGBTQ community was far too often focused, pinpoint and laser focused on pointing at the letter of the law in order to condemn. And we ran dangerously close to, or we probably dangerously did, misapply the letter of the law in order to exclude a community rather than showing compassion towards fellow sinners and showing mercy towards those on a journey that we are all on. Too often we placed additional burdens on the backs of those that were already facing burdens that most of us could not imagine. And this is why we go back to those three verses. Take on my teaching. Let me teach you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Right? Jesus never called us to be burden placers, but he called us to be burden lifters. In Matthew 23, and we'll get there eventually in Matthew as we go through it, Jesus begins his most scathing rebuke of the Pharisees. He says in Matthew 23, verse 4, They, the Pharisees, tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. We have to understand this. The church is not meant to be burden placers. The law is not meant to be burdensome. That doesn't mean we just ignore the law, but we have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to add things to the law or to interpret the law in a way that it adds a greater burden than what is already there. Because in reality, if anyone at any point in their life, no matter what their experience, no matter what their identity, no matter what their makeup is, no matter what their history is, no matter what their temperament is, no matter what their biology is, anything, as you follow the law, you, are, you recognize that it lifts burdens from you. It lifts the burden of whatever it is that you are going through. The law is a burden lifter when it is properly applied. And sometimes as Christians, we just need to step back and let the law, or even more accurately, let Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law, work in people. We have to remember that Jesus does not call anybody to follow Christians. Jesus calls everybody to follow him. And so we need to make sure that we also don't just sort of paint this as, oh, yeah, the church is bad. And the church, in quotes, is like this problem out there that's in the whatever the church is out there. We have to recognize and do our own heart work to recognize that there are times when we allow our own self-righteousness to place a burden on other people. And we judge and we place burdens on people because of how we perceive we are following the law correctly. We are being a proper Christian and those other people aren't being proper Christians. And so this, it's a big topic, it's a big conversation obviously, but these are just a couple examples of what Jesus is trying to point out in the hearts of the Pharisees. You're misapplying the, you're misapplying the law, you're misinterpreting the law if you think that the, the ceremonial law or the ritualistic law, or the religious law, somehow trumps the law of love. Love and compassion come in the law 
and are expressed through the law. And so if your expression of the law negates compassion, then you're not reading the law correctly. And then Jesus says that he is the law. In these examples that I give, it's important to remember again that Jesus is not saying that there is no law. Jesus isn't saying in the text that there is no Sabbath or that there is no proper way to observe the Sabbath. He never says those Ten Commandments don't apply anymore. He never said, I don't expect a change in your behavior as you follow me. We've been reading all through Matthew about the expected reality of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and how being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, being a citizen in the new inbreaking kingdom will change who we are and we will be identified as being different. Jesus doesn't say that the law has no place and that it doesn't conform us. No, we do believe in a transforming gospel, that knowing Jesus does bring about real change, that is good news of what Jesus has done. He can change us. We want that to be the good news. We want the law to be able to change us. Jesus did not abolish the law of the Sabbath. He only freed it from incorrect interpretations and purified it from man-made additions. He stripped off the miserable traditions with which the Pharisees had made it, not a blessing, but a burden, says J.C. Ryle, which is an amazing summary of what has taken place here. So Jesus does not abolish any law, but he purifies it. He teaches us how his yoke is easy and how his burden is light. Jesus teaches us to be burden lifters, not burden makers. So if you have struggled with understanding the Bible, if you have struggled with understanding Christianity, maybe even understanding your own faith in the context of the commands and the laws that the Bible has and all the rules that seem to be there and how we are made righteous through them or how we are supposed to practice them or, or how they interface between us and other people and how we're supposed to react to the world given what the Bible teaches. If you've struggled with that, immerse yourself in understanding this text right here. This is the core of what the new covenant is about, that Jesus has come that he is the law, that he wants to teach us how to live rightly according to the law and that the law of neighbor love or the law of compassion is the primary law and it is the law or the lens in which all the other laws are interpreted. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the king of the law. He's come to fulfill the law and set us free from man-made bondage to the law. Jesus has come to show us how the law is the law of love, how the commands of God are commands of doing good and mercy and compassion. And more importantly, Jesus has come to fulfill the law himself, to keep the law perfectly as we could not keep it. And then as a perfect lawkeeper, to be a perfect sacrifice to save us from the conditions of that law. Jesus is God become man to live the perfect life we could not live, to die the sacrificial death that we could not die, to pay a price that we could never pay in order that the law might be satisfied and we can be saved. You need to know that Jesus and to take on his yoke. Hitch yourself literally beside Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Let's pray. Father God, this is a rich text and so simple on the surface, but there's deep, deep layers of meaning and understanding here. As we place ourselves at times in the place of the Pharisees and at other times in the place of the disciples. And Jesus illustrates what he means, that following him means something completely different than what we expect. It is not about a list of rules that we need to strictly follow and interpret to the letter. It is about compassion and mercy and understanding that the law that God has given is a law that is for us, not against us. It's against us in the sense that it exposes our inability to keep it, 
but it is for us in the sense that it is a law filled with mercy and that it is a law that points us towards Jesus Christ. And so in that we are grateful that you have sent your son to fulfill the law for us and to show us in a perfect way what the law means and how we are to follow it in love and in mercy and compassion. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us as a church. Forgive me as a pastor. Forgive each of us individually. When we have taken your law like these Pharisees did and used it as a weapon against people, maybe even with good intention, maybe even with the right motive at our heart, but ultimately without compassion. And your law used without compassion is misused. Father, forgive us for that. Give us wisdom how to walk your path in the way that you would have us walk it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.